This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best Dr. Jeff. We are here live on Pet Life Radio and my Instagram Live. We're here for you, we're here for your pets, which means if you have anything you want to talk about, you gotta let me know. For, for Instagram Live, it's so easy, you just type it in and I'll, uh, and I'll, uh, oh, my sister said yes, I can call her back. Anyway, so uh, as you know, there's a couple of easy ways to get a hold of me here at Pet Life Radio. First of all, 877 385 8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. But better yet, join me here live on Zoom. You go on to PetLifeRadio.com. You click on Shows. You go to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And there's going to be a Zoom link left for you there. It is so easy. Click on the link and you can join me live. Have your pets with you. Well, one of the stories we're going to talk about is how important telemedicine is going to be for you in the future. And trust me, when you hear this headline on, from People.com, you're going to see what I mean. As I lean over, I'm just waving hi to everybody. So very, very important stuff. So if you want to join me here, have your pet with you. I can uh, have you here on Zoom. Now, as far as joining me here live on Instagram, we can't do that only because then you're in control. And when I, when, if I try to like, you know, take you, you take up half the screen, I can't see the other things. And then people say, wait a second, you tell that person to, to, to stop already. So as you know, I like to peruse the news going on. What is going on in the veterinary world that I think, I hope you'll find interesting. I certainly did. And, uh, and this is really cool. I'm sure you're familiar. If not, you're familiar with the Iditarod. So Iditarod is a 1,049-mile race. It goes from Willow, Alaska, to Nome. It is, you have the mushers, which are the mushers, which are the guys that are riding the sled. You have the teams of dogs. And these are Arctic breeds, typically Malamutes and Huskies. But I mean, uh, Samoyeds. I mean, there are a lot of different Arctic breeds that are running this thing. Anyway, you know, people are always worried about you know, it's sort of like those of you that or those that are sort of against dog racing and horse racing because of how they're handled. And I mean, horses love to run. And if you ask the horse, do you like to run? They go, heck yeah. Um, I think greyhounds love to run also, but being bred for that, you know, it's like, I don't want to go there. It's a very, very controversial issue. The Iditarod, you have these dogs that are racing and you have to know these dogs, first of all, they love to run. Secondly, they are so well cared for. So 50 veterinarians located at checkpoints along the Iditarod, all right, they're checking temperature, heart rate, body condition, eating, drinking, movement. They actually watch them as they're coming in and they're identifying those that are having an issue. And the mushers themselves who are working and training these dogs, they know their dogs very, very well. And they do not have any problem or anything going on with their dogs. And they're the first ones that will identify issues and they will take care of them right away. So they're checking for lamenesses. And, you know, so it's not even us to judge. It's, it's sort of like, you know, you get on the diet all the time and you have these people that want to feed vegan and vegetarian, all that stuff. And I say, well, ask the dog, what does the dog want? <laughs> if the dog wants it, great, great. You could do it for the dog. The dogs are omnivores. But if, if you ask the dog or you put the plate of meat in front of them and they chow down the meat, I think that's the answer. These dogs love to run and they're trained for it. It's like, you know, doing agility. It, you, you have these dogs that do agility and this is, it's in their blood. They just are loving it. But I mean, just know that they are well cared for. In fact, one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Justine Lee, she's been on the show before. 
She has her own show on Pet Life Radio. She's, we're going to join each other. We're going to do, um, I'm going to be a guest on her show. She's going to be a guest on my show coming up soon. She actually worked at Iditarod once and she says it's absolutely amazing. And these dogs are amazing and they're, they are in great shape. Anyway, we reported on this before. This is going back to, to early January, late December. And it's very, very, very sad. And, you know, again, with the good stuff, unfortunately, there are, is going to be some bad stuff. We talked about the manatee and the manatees were starving because the seagrass, their beds of seagrass, kind of like a seaweed that they feed on. And they've tried to supplement the seagrass with other things like lettuce, other fibrous vegetables and things because they're totally herbivores. So the manatees are the gentle giants of the sea. And really, the stories are really hanging on by as a species in Florida, hanging on by a thread because of the depleted seagrass beds. And there are they've really gone through a lot of depletion and the experts inability to get them to adapt to another type of food. They are literally, literally starving to death on necropsies, uncovered evidence of there were over 350 manatees that, that have passed away, died in the area, in the Florida waters, and um, over 90% the problem was starvation. So very, very sad. And what's terrible is it only, this is two months, January, February. So it's, you know, it's a horrendous situation. It's amazing that they've not figured out a way to grow the seagrass you know, as seagrass because they're, they're not adapting to other, other you know, types of vegetables, leafy vegetables. They've tried. So get the seagrass, grow it in somewhere in a lab somewhere, and then dump it in the seas. But whatever, maybe it's obviously easier said than done. But that's a very sad story. Here's another one. I wish I had better news to, to share with you. So we, we kind of suspected this is going to happen, but it's happening. Nationwide, animal shelters are again overcrowded and, of course, understaffed, as with the veterinary profession. And we're gonna, that's going to lead to another story in a little bit. So the number of dogs and cats in U.S. shelters is higher than usual. Staff shortages and a slowdown in adoption rates. What's happening? Well, we thought that people, when they got back to work, which is happening finally, that they would be bringing their dogs back to the shelter. That hasn't happened, which is great. However, with the new animals coming in, being understaffed, not being able to access, now that people are going back to work, there are fewer and fewer coming in to adopt. So very sad. Today, for example, I'm doing a vaccine clinic at one of the wagon walks, one of the rescues I work for here in West Los Angeles, and we're doing a vaccine clinic. And um, they're also, they're starting to fill up again. And I mean, I, I did one when with the lepto threat, by the way, the whole lepto threat is, is, seems to be under control, which is great. But when I, way back, I did a, a vaccine clinic for them for lepto and influenza. And I'm telling you, their runs and cages were practically empty. Now, unfortunately, they're full up again. So that's really sad. So what can you do to help? And that's what, you know, the, I guess the point of this is, what can we do as pet lovers, pet parents to help? And obviously, we can foster, we can adopt. I have five right now, and, and um, they're all adopted. Well, two are rehomes, three are adoptions. Volunteer, donate, they'd love to get some more money. Or this is a good one. When you find a stray dog, typically what we do is, we go, you, know, you might try, hopefully you do try, take it into your vet, have them scan, maybe, hopefully they have a microchip. That's how I got one of my dogs. It did have a microchip, and I found out it wasn't, it didn't belong to somebody. It was being fostered because it's part of a rescue, and a Chinese rescue. In fact, maybe that's the one, uh, Jojo Lee's, that's what I'm going to bring on. You have to see this dog. She is the sweetest thing ever. So what's happening is these um, dogs, when they go to a shelter, their chance of getting adopted are not great. And they keep them, you know, unless it's a no-kill shelter, they keep them for a certain amount of time. And then they, unfortunately, if no one's interested, they have to say goodbye, which is a sad thing. So don't take them to the shelter. Do whatever you can to avoid taking them to the shelter. 
do your own homework, put signs up. If you can find somebody that would take care of it for you or just you know keep it for a couple of days, whatever it is, that would help as well because hopefully we'll either get an owner or you can in, you know sort of initiate the, a rehoming by just you know talking to people in your neighborhood, talking to people around you and see, is there a way I can find a home for this dog? And that's exactly, exactly how we have Georgie right now. So also, this is also... <laughs> So third sad story. Well, this, it's kind of sad. It, there's a warm part to it that a lot of the Ukrainian refugees that are escaping, they are leaving their belongings behind so they can take their pets. And uh, I actually heard a woman speak a couple of days ago whose family had successfully mom made it to Poland, which is where her sister lives. Dad made it to Germany. And she said when they go and they're leaving town, first of all, she sees so many people going up you know, walking in their car with their pets. They will not, it's almost like these, when there are disasters and you see people say, I'm not, I'm not going. If I can't take my pet with me to the shelter, I'm not going, I'm staying right here. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, so again, it's something that's sad that they're even having to go through this right now, but it's, it's heartwarming to know that for whatever they have, their pets are the most important thing to them, uh, you know, with their families. It's the pets are part of the family. So that's, that's really nice. And... Oh, and this is a good story. Remember last week we talked about the, the uh, dental offices and they were having dogs coming in and then some people complained because of the sanitary things or because they're afraid they were going to be dangerous and get bitten. We know the benefits to having animals with us. We know what it does for us. So now this was a great story. So therapy dogs that may ease pain and anxiety in emergency rooms, regular emergency rooms, not dental. Adults reported greater reductions in pain and anxiety after spending just 10 minutes with a therapy dog as compared to those who did not spend any time with a therapy dog before their visit. And again, as we know from you know, my friend Marty Becker's book, Healing Power of Pets, the amazing effect that pets have on us as far as our own health, whether it is lowering blood pressure, lowering cholesterol, for, little, for kids being raised with dogs, it they do better in school. They score better on IQ tests. I mean, <laughs> think about it. So, and it gives the kids responsibility and they participate. I look at, you know, I have you know, two of my grandkids. It would not surprise me one bit if they ultimately become veterinarians. I mean, I know it's tough. And then I, you know, okay, you know, I know how many people, when I tell people that you know, I'm a veterinarian, and they go, oh my God, I, I want to be a veterinarian. Everybody wants to be a veterinarian. But uh, unfortunately, it's not that easy. So uh, it doesn't happen as often as we like. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. I am going to get Georgie because you have to see this dog. And so for those of you on Instagram, I know they're going to be doing some commercials on Pet Life Radio, but uh, I'm, I'm going to be gone for just a second to not go away because you're going to see how Georgie, she is so darn cute. And I'll tell you the whole story about her. It was amazing when we come back. So don't go away. We're back after these messages. I'm going to go grab my one of my five dogs so you can meet her and uh, we will be uh, back in a few minutes. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. 
For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Okay, so we're back. Here is Georgie. Georgie's one of my five. And she, first of all, look how adorable she is. And boy, this is a cuddler like you can't believe. She just, in the morning when I start to stir and you know, they know it's time to get up, she would just literally jump right on top of me and just like a hug. It's, like, it's almost like if she could, she's adorable. So all of a sudden we get a call one night from a friend who is saying they have a dog in her front yard and they can't get near it. She is trying to bite. Uh, she is, is hiding in the bushes. So, of course, her friend being Dr. Jeff, the vet, we go over there and she is she's ready to kill. You cannot get near this dog. And when you look at her now, you say, how is that possible? So she was petrified. So we finally I was I asked her if she had any meat. Yes, she brought out some chicken. If I offered her you know, lettuce, if I offered her some veggie thing or vegan thing, I guarantee it wouldn't have worked. But chicken, oh my God. So she came out and I started giving her some chicken. And then um, I was able to, you know, kind of lasso her with a, a, a leash. And I gently brought her out, giving her some chicken with each step. And then once I got her out, she was a little bit better. I was able to actually pick her up and put her in my arms. And when I put her on, it was like an instant change. So I said, okay, I'm going to take her home. She was a filthy mess, by the way, disgusting mess. So I take her home. And um, she got along pretty well with you know, my, my other dogs. We had three others at the time. She was four because our little Frenchie is number five. And um, I, next morning, I take her to the office, scan her, and she's got a chip. I was amazed. So it wasn't one of those chips. I couldn't contact them directly, but I, I was able to send a, a quick email. I sent an email. Hi, my name is Dr. Jeff Werber, and I found this dog with your microchip. And I got a call back literally literally in minutes. So she's so excited to tell me she's, she has a very thick Chinese um, English accent and you find my dog, you find my dog. So talking to her, turns out that this is not her dog. She runs a Chinese rescue. They actually confiscate, they steal dogs that are destined to be on somebody's table at the Yulin meat market where they eat dogs, they sell dogs and they eat dogs. And so she gets them. She has a team there. They get the dogs and then they, they ship them to her here in the U.S. So she was one of many. She was actually rescued with her sister and a brother. And they all came here. She went to the foster, one of their fosters that she's used a lot before. And somehow this little monster got away from her foster. And she was gone for 29 days, running the streets of Los Angeles. Can you imagine? And there were sightings of her crossing Sunset Boulevard. That's, I mean, that's dangerous. Being chased by coyotes, almost being hit by cars. And I mean, no one could catch her. Nobody could catch her. So it was so sad. So after hearing the story and all that's going to happen was she's going to go back to another foster or hopefully not the same one. So I called my wife. I said, wait a second. This is not somebody's dog. It's a rescue. And she was being in a foster. She got away, told the whole story, 29 days, Los Angeles. And um, she says, don't you dare give this dog back to that lady. So we didn't. And we took her home, cleaned her up. And I've got to tell you, she is heaven. So it's great. And so it also turns out one of my friends and neighbors, they live like three blocks away, has her sister, that's Peanut. 
And uh, then we find out the brother is in Los Angeles also. We got together one day, all three of them. Oh my God, it was so cute. So, so this is one of my cute, cute dogs. Somebody wanted to joke their leads, wanted to see my cute dogs. How cute. And she gets along great with them. And she's, she's the only girl. She is so gentle. Like when, when, you know, my dogs, like you put the food down and they, you know, they like attack it in two seconds. She, she sits there and she waits. And I literally have to call her over to the food. It's almost like she's afraid to eat right away. But once she is eating, if one of the other dogs come near her, she'll, she'll let him have it. She's not taking crap from anybody. So uh, anyway, so she's Georgie and we adore her. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun having her. So, okay, Georgie, you can go run. You can sit and play. All right. So back to some stories. This is interesting. Uh, being a Frenchie dad and working with many, many, many French Bulldogs and English Bulldogs, this story came out, which is uh, not surprising to me, but it is. Bulldogs have been bred so closely that they can no longer give birth naturally. We, we know that. I do a lot of C-sections. I did one uh, two weeks ago. Though I also have a picture of me with eight French Bulldog pups, okay, and all naturally born, which is maybe because they were so, such a big litter, they were a little smaller, but all naturally born. And they, oh my God, so cute. But they suffer from a lot of health problems. There's a professor at UC Davis, and um, they are very concerned about the, the uh, amount of problems that we're seeing in these breeds. And also a geneticist at UC Davis who feels that it may be impossible to selectively breed some of these health problems out and yet still have a pure breed dog. In other words, they fear the only way to breed them out is through crossing with some other like dogs that don't have those problems and getting some of the better genes or different genes in there. Interestingly, a judge in Norway recently banned the breeding of bulldogs, banned the breeding of bulldogs, unless, of course, it's for the purpose of expanding genetic diversity and making the breed healthier. So that is, uh, I mean, it's a bold move. That's for darn sure. But you know, maybe some, someone's got to do it. I mean, I do, um, as many of you know, I do a lot of Frenchies. I do the, the nasal surgery. I do the soft palates, um, the tonsils. We do for the, the brachycephalic syndrome where they have all these breathing issues. So I don't necessarily, I can see where they're coming from. To ban a breathing, I don't know. Look, hey, we did it to Persian cats. I mean, the reason why their faces are so smushed and they're, <laughs> is because that's what they were bred for. Those traits were what people wanted. So Who's to blame for creating that monster Persian cat that can barely breathe? We are. It's the same thing with what's going on with the bulldogs. So, and what I want to tell you about, now I have, I have Georgie hair in me. So recent article in people.com, and this is something to discuss and uh, kind of a serious bummer problem. Predicted that at the current pace, by the year 2030, 75 million, catch that, 75 million pets will not have access to vet care. And I mean, what it's really bad. So what's happening is, I mean, just if you look at the numbers now, between all the veterinary schools, there are, well, two of them are new. So we don't know much about those are from in Arizona. Uh, there's Midwestern University and University of Arizona just recently started vet school. I think the first graduating class might be this year for Midwestern. So it is, we're graduating about 2,600 veterinarians a year. The retirement rate is about 2,000 a year. So that gives a surplus of 600 vets, okay? The problem is, as we know, with changing strategies and, and lifestyle issues, veterinarians are not working like I work. We know where you're going to put in 60, 70 hours a week. They're, they're doing their 40 hours or less. A lot of them are working two days a week. Uh, we have a lot of women veterinarians who, are, who have families. And so 
we're seeing more and more veterinarians saying that they have shortened work weeks and they're not doing weekend emer- and weekends are not doing emergencies after hours. So what's happening is that is part of the problem. So of that, say, 600 surplus, it might only be 300 as far as full-time opportunities. So it's not sustainable. That's not enough to take care of the increase in pets that we have. Now, you know, years ago, there were, you know, 30% of U.S. households had pets. Now it's 70% of U.S. households have pets. So there are more pets, which is great. So we just don't have the veterinarians or the veterinary staff to keep up with the demand. And that is a problem. So that's why one of the things that I talk about and I, you know, one of my motivations to sort of spearhead and start AirVet, just telemedicine, and we are seeing a lot of, it's sad that I work with a lot of, of the other telemedicine companies out there and we're all seeing the same thing. Clients, pet parents, you love telemedicine and you, I, I get so many people use it, but I'm not so sure that uh, we were finding out the veterinarians are afraid to implement it. I don't know why. I think they're afraid that by someone going online, they're going to lose their business. It's like that retailer. You know, if they're going to shop using Amazon online, then they're not going into the brick and mortar anymore. And I think that might be the issue. What they don't understand is when it comes to medicine, there are a lot of things that we can do to educate, to help, to inform, to guide, but we can't treat for some things. You need those blood tests. You need the x-rays and you need the teeth clean. You need those injections. So you're going to go in. So, you know, I'm saying, guys, right now, the average person sees their veterinarian only 1.6 times a year, 1.6. Now I know for those of you listening, you are you kidding? I see Werber 1.6 times a week but that's not the norm. So unfortunately, it's not the norm. So what I'm saying is that using telemedicine and giving more potential touch points between pet parent and virtual doc, then they're going to see, they're going to realize the importance and they're going to see their vets even more. And trying to convince veterinarians of that has not been an easy task. But what happens to the 75 million people that I'm not going to have access to seeing their vet? That's where telemedicine comes in. So we are doing a big push trying to you know, bring telemedicine directly to the consumer. So if the veterinarians aren't going to adopt it, and if your vets out there are not going to adopt it, you need to talk to them because it's something that's only going to help their relationship with their own clients. And that's what's going to make it better for the pets. That's what's going to make it better for you to know that you have that comfort knowing that you have access to care 24-7 without having to run to an emergency clinic where you're going to spend a fortune. And one thing I've realized from the 3,600 plus virtual visits that I've done and conducted with pet parents, many of which I don't even know, they're all parts of the country, very few, 5%, maybe 10, truly needed emergency care. Most of them didn't. They just needed some advice. They needed some guidance. They needed some suggestions. And they needed to be told with comfort, don't worry, Wait to see your vet tomorrow or the next day. It's not an emergency. You don't have to spend $1,000. You can take care of this for way less by seeing your own veterinarian. And what we do is we make sure they get to their veterinarian because we can't. We can right now with the VCPR, the veterinary client patient relationship that is so strict, we supposedly we can't even diagnose. I can't tell you what's going on with your pet. The best I can do is say, you know what? I had a patient a couple of weeks ago or last week or yesterday that had the exact same symptoms and this is what it turned out to be. And this is what I recommended to them. I can't recommend it to you. So we can get this information across to you. But the answer is we need to get everybody more, more active when it comes to telemedicine, get them used to it and speak to your veterinarians about it. I, I wish veterinarians weren't so close-minded sometimes. They're so afraid that they're going to lose business. And I'm trying to tell them, no, doc, you're going to be busier, which right now 
They don't want. And the emergency clinics, by the way, they don't want your, those cases that are not emergencies because the ones that are really emergencies that are sitting in a car in a parking lot and waiting for literally hours to be seen, hours. They don't want that. They want to help the ones that really need help now and not be bombarded with cases where it wasn't an emergency, where they could, they could have waited. They see your doc tomorrow. One of the ones we work with is Compassion First. It's a national chain of emergency clinics. They love us because they know that we are sifting through the cases that don't really need to be seen by them and letting them work on the cases that really do need emergency care so animals aren't dying in a car waiting to be seen, which unfortunately, sadly, has been happening. So anyway, with that, hats off to Utah. Utah State University is starting a new veterinary school a four-year veterinary college. They're going to have the classes until they start and still they build and develop a teaching hospital. They're going to be farming, which many, many uh, schools do now. There are fourth-year students out to specialty clinics around the area, to regular hospitals, to learn some of the hands-on stuff that's necessary to get into practice. And of course, these students are probably going to want to do an internship anyway, which I recommend. So now we're going to have 31 schools in the country, which is better than the 24 back when I was applying. And interestingly, now, because there are more schools, students can like, you know, when I was applying to school, there was only one school I can apply to. I was a California resident and we had our own vet school, UC Davis at the time. We didn't have Western. It was just Davis. And if you were coming from a state that had a veterinary school, you couldn't apply to any other state schools, which is all of them. The only one that was a purely not state. There were some private ones there like Cornell, like Purdue, like University of Pennsylvania, but their vet schools and their land were state land. And therefore they were able to uh, prohibit them from accepting students from other states with vet schools. Uh, the only one that was purely private at the time was Tufts, and they could. In fact, I did get an interview opportunity for Tufts, but the same year I was going, like, something like a week before my scheduled interview with Tufts, it was a brand new school, just kind of open, I got into Davis. So, you know, why would I say no to the number one vet school in the country? So Davis it was, and I'm thrilled that I got in. Anyway, anything else that you want, you can always get and hold me anytime. Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can get me at Jeff at AirVet.com. You can get me on Instagram. Send me a, a private message, personal message. I will be happy to speak with you. We can either text, uh, chat, or of course, any of you should download AirVet. You could put in, if you're not one of my clients, to put in Jeff's, J-E-F-F apostrophe S, and it'll autofill Jeff's telehospital and then allow for microphone, camera, and all that and then register your dog or your pets, and then you'll have access. You can request an appointment. doesn't mean an appointment at ValueVet. It means a virtual appointment with me so we can talk uh, on. It's all video chat. So make sure when we do set it up or when you set it up and when you're going to initiate a call, a requ appointment request, have your pet with you. If you have an emergency, you're going to choose the option to start a video call. And when you do that, make sure your pet is with you because whichever doctor you get, maybe me, maybe one of our 3,000 vets on the AirVet platform, you're going to need to have your pet with you. So have a great week, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Oh, by the way, I was at Western Veterinary Conference. It was amazing. Finally, 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 back to normal. It was packed solid, very few people wearing masks. There was so much engagement. There was so much energy, so much activity. It was so nice to be back to a real vet conference again. And I'm hoping that others now will soon follow suit and kind of get back to norm. The booths were magnificent. It was really just a phenomenal conference. 
So again, I look forward to hearing from you. If you have anything you want me to talk about, I'm going to answer a question in, uh, when we say goodbye here to our uh, Pet Life Radio. Stay on, everybody, because we're going to uh, answer a few questions about uh, neutering, about the fight collar. So I've already seen them come up. So see you next week. Pet Life Radio. Remember, always get home. If you'd like me to discuss anything in a future show, please send me a note to drjeff at petliferadio.com. All right. Wonderful week. And we'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.